listening to Nightlight. Hi there, and welcome to a special Father's Day edition of Nightlight, in which you're going to be hearing a crazy and truly remarkable testimony from Joseph Fuzesi, speaking to me from Colombia in South America. Joseph is the father of Jonathan Fuzesi, who's had an amazing musical career in South America, which you'll hear about during the course of the show. Jonathan is recording an album of Christian songs in tribute to his upbringing as a missionary kid. And we're going to kick off the show with one of those songs and then hear Joseph and Jonathan's amazing story, which he has titled The Love of a father. Got the devil looking right at me, feeding me the same old story. Trying not to get a hold of me, cause he knows I'm found and bound for glory. I was living in uncertainty, another kind of reality. Yeah. I was blind, but now I see. Only wish someone sooner would have told me.
have a guest tonight on Nightlight. Hi, Simon. Hi. What a pleasure and privilege to have this time and platform to share with you and your listeners of Nightlight. <laughs> Great to have you with us, Joseph. You know, the name is so appropriate because we are definitely in the night. Amen. And we definitely need the light, which your program so, so clearly produces and transmits god bless you amen praise the lord as uh, darkness and the new world order has at the snap of a finger arrived just as the bible predicted many years ago it's never completely dark when you're listening to nightlight nightlight uh, i i just recently got informed about the uh nightlight show a while i guess about a month and a half ago and after tuning in and listening to the last few shows i'm uh, certainly hooked you know there's nothing like it so simon congratulations uh, i your voice uh, i have listened to your voice uh, the the word of god through your voice for many many years and i just want to take this opportunity to thank you for using that wonderful gift and your voice is truly uh, god's voice uh god bless you and uh, it's still as young as ever <laughs> well i'm very thankful that my age doesn't reflect in my voice at least not yet but as for my reading voice well that's just a gift that i can just do naturally and Joseph, when I think of musicians who've had to practice for years in order to play an instrument, I really had a very easy talent given to me by grace and one that I can't take credit for. But talking of musicians, well, today we're going to be hearing the amazing story of Jonathan, your son, whose songs we are going to be playing often, I'm sure, on the program and I'd like you to tell his and yours backstory. I was born in Toledo, Ohio, a now forgotten and abandoned major industrial area of the U.S. that once thrived on automotive plants uh, like Chrysler and General Motors and Willys Jeep. Uh, Toledo was also a major glass uh, producer and my mother and my father were uh, immigrants from Eastern Europe, really? from Hungary and Sweden. After graduating from high school in 1971 and with the possibility of a sports scholarship in wrestling, after being a state finalist two wow. years in a row, I got involved in the hippie, anti-establishment, anti-war counterculture, which was quite a cultural phenomenon that developed throughout much of the Western world. Right. Yeah, you know, find yourself, do your thing, love, peace, drugs, and rock and roll. Cultural <laughs> revolution, in which they say that the CIA was responsible for introducing LSD into American society. I heard that. And weaponized it as some kind of uh, so-called mind control experiment 
and also to bring in more of a leftist mentality. Right. Uh, although LSD did speed up the uh, inner self spiritual world searching thing that everybody was going through. Although outside of the confines of the uh, Judeo-Christian uh, tradition. Yes. Hippies sought to find some kind of real meaning in life and have good time in the process. Though some hippies remained committed to the lifestyle for the long haul, many others assimilated themselves back into the mainstream culture they had once despised. That's right. I was one of those who continued on in my search for truth and real meaning to life, being disillusioned by a fake anti-God society, false religion, and a false economy built on war. And, you know, our, sad to say our parents at that time were more than willing to send Johnny off to Vietnam. Terrible. Thank God I was saved by the skin of my teeth from going to Vietnam as the war officially ended like a few weeks before I was scheduled to start my basic army training because of the forced draft. And uh, after graduating from high school, I took the counsel of my dear veteran hippie cousin who died shortly thereafter to just take time and stop and look and listen and basically do nothing and really find out what you're supposed to do in life. And, you know, in the meantime, uh, did a lot of drugs and, and took time to think and contemplate, which was actually pretty wise counsel. When you don't know what to do, you know, sometimes it's good to stop and pray and one night, I remember one night in January 1972, I arrived home to my parents' house tripping on LSD. And I was so confused and uh, there was, uh, my parents were in uh, separation and going through this divorce and there was so much turmoil and discord and, and uh, I, I started to pray and ask God to help me to please find my path show me what to do and curiously enough two days later i was driving in my car around 12 o'clock midnight with a girl i just uh, met at a local bar and i saw two guys hitchhiking on the side of the highway so i stopped and picked them up as uh, any good hippie would do and it just so happened that they were two missionaries from the the Jesus revolution and they started to talk to me about Jesus and how they had dedicated their full time and energy to serving him and living and working together like the early Christians of the Bible to help save the youth of their uh -huh. generation and so I invited them to warm up and have a coffee and a sandwich, and, and uh, they gave me this track and invited me to one of their coffee houses in Detroit, Michigan, which was a couple hours' drive out of from Toledo, north. And uh, then they continued on their journey. So about a week later, I took off with a friend of mine to Detroit, Michigan, to meet these Christian missionaries and, uh, you know, check them out. 
after the first hour I arrived to their coffee house, I had already received Jesus into my heart and had a Daniel 2 class. Wow. And uh, was basically blown away by their sample of love and lifestyle and, you know, uh, just uh, living and working together in harmony. I, and uh, I, I know why they called it a coffee house because that's about all there was was coffee <laughs> or maybe later on in the evening someone would arrive with some day old donuts or sandwiches but uh, <laughs> uh, I immediately knew that this was my place I, I had found uh, my new life and uh, wow so after a week or so I, I woke up uh, one morning and my friend had left back to Toledo without even telling me he Obviously, he wasn't uh, really into this uh, Jesus uh, revolution, and but he he didn't like the idea of losing his best friend to Jesus, and so when he got back to Toledo, he told my family that I was there against my own will, and I was turning into this Jesus freak, and they're brainwashing me, all this stuff. So Gosh. one morning, we got a knock at the door of, uh, of the coffee house, and lo and behold, my father and brother and cousin and, and some other friends of theirs forced their way in. My cousin was on, on leave from the Green Berets and uh, were threatening to violently remove me from the premises. So to avoid a terrible scene, I, I left with them thinking to go back and pick up my things and return in my car along with the idea of convincing my girlfriend to join with me the, this uh, Jesus revolution. So when I got back, my father said, he, I really need to go see a psychiatrist. What? They thought, well, you know, I, I, I must have taken too many drugs because all of a sudden, I'm, you know, I, I arrived back and I'm talking about Jesus. And they just really thought I took too many drugs. Which was not true. I'll, you know, I did take drugs, but you know, never had any weird experience where I lost my mind or anything. So my dear sweet mother threw my Bible on the floor, oh. and my cousin that I said that was home on, the, on leave from the Green Berets wanted to beat the hell out of me, and I, I mean, beat Jesus out of me. What? And my girlfriend said she would like to meet these Christians and consider joining in a few months when she finished school, but at the same time uh, said, uh, you know, I was in love with the old Joey, not this new one. Oh. I'm like, okay. Oh, dear. And then a friend of my brother who was living as a member of this uh, ex-beatnik hippie settlement in Tennessee called The Farm run by this uh, self-made guru, Stephen, I think his name was Stephen Gaskin, where everyone had long hair and beards and grew their own food and had midwives to deliver their own babies. They, they lived in tents, I mean, you know, in the midwinter, <laughs> although they were building, you know, but many were living in tents, and they had outdoor toilets, I mean, literally outdoor and uh, anyway, he invited me there to pick up his things. And the whole idea was to, you know, he was going to return to a normal lifestyle. And the, and, and the whole idea was to convince me 
to do likewise and I didn't need to join any Jesus movement and could you know serve God in my own way at home then while we were there in Tennessee he almost ended up staying again but at last he decided to return to his normal life and I returned to Toledo with him, thank God, because I left there more confused than ever after being indoctrinated for a few weeks by the everything is cool teaching and Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, Jesus, yeah, they're all cool, man. You know, they were all different paths to the same destination. Right. And, you know, smoking pot was a very sacred sacrament to spiritual attainment and I, I remember my first day there I asked for directions to the toilet and found that it was an elevated platform with two holes at the top in open air view <laughs> and just when I thought the coast was clear uh, while doing number two this loving female member of the settlement walked up and greeted me and congratulated me on being a possible new member and sat down beside me and proceeded to do her number two also oh, i thought man isn't this the maximum expression of freedom <laughs> <laughs> anyway I returned to Toledo more confused than ever. Then uh, I got involved with the, a David Wilkerson coffee house with some uh, plastic-type hippie Christians. And <laughs> then I got involved with the Pentecostal church for a while. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, there was a lot of miracles and stuff. But it just wasn't... I just didn't feel like I fit in there. Right. And I was basically shopping around, but decided to return to the original place where the Lord guided me, the Jesus Revolution, and worked as an uh, associate member and witnessed and started living the life of a missionary and eventually left Toledo with my ex-girlfriend, now uh, wife, to Hawaii to do full-time missionary work. And it was wonderful and my life had so much meaning and purpose and serving God and helping others to find his love and happiness then one beautiful day in Maui Hawaii my wife gave me the news that she was going to return to Toledo to live a normal life again and be close to her family I felt at the time it was the right thing to go back get her set up in an apartment with our one-year-old son Jonathan and at the same time, she was pregnant, one or two months pregnant with our next child, Joy. And then I had to break the news to her that I made the decision to be a full-time missionary. And with great sadness, leave her and my dear son behind. The Bible is very definite when it says in Matthew 19:29, And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Amen. So basically I had no escape hatch. If you can imagine, uh, you know, my family... 
and her family thought I was the biggest scumbag that walked on the face of the earth. Although her mother was uh, more than happy to have me out of their lives and take control of my son and the one coming, Joy. And when she was born eight months later, I went back for a visit again. I was, uh, I think, working in Chicago. And I tried to convince my wife to stay together for the kids' sake and our marriage. And most of all, to serve the Lord together and train our kids to know Jesus. Yes. And so she, I convinced her and she tried again and left with me and the kids to Detroit, Michigan to work with another, uh, you know, Jesus uh, Revolution community. But after one month, she said uh, she wanted to return home again. Sad. So this time, I pretty much knew it was final. And so we made a pact. We didn't go through any legal channels, uh, you know, that, that she would stay with our daughter, Joy, and that Jonathan would stay with me and be raised as a missionary with other missionaries. Because when he was a very small baby, I, I remember we raised him up in the air with my hands stretched out. And we dedicated him to God, and I, I just, since that time, I just felt a, a very special child. Mm -hmm. I left to Chicago, Illinois, and worked with a, a large missionary community and uh, helped pioneer a, if you can imagine, a widow's home with single mothers, as I myself was now a full-time single mother and father. Right. <laughs> which was definitely quite a big change, and it, it wasn't easy listening to mother talk every day at the table about Johnny's rash <laughs> and what kind of cream to use on his bottom. Oh, dear. And being around moms and talking about doo-doo diapers. and <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, it was definitely a big change being a full-time mother and father. I remember my, my first five years as a missionary, after separating from my wife, I had no actual physical contact uh, or, you know, with the opposite sex as it was only permissible in uh, marriage lock. Uh, you know, except for, you know, normal Christian hugs. Right. Uh, about two years later, uh, I decided to go back for a short visit to Toledo so Jonathan could visit with his mom and grandparents and still had a, a flickering hope my ex-wife uh, would change her mind and serve God together with me. If you can imagine, I, I convinced her uh, again, and so she left with me to Florida to join another community, and after only one week again, she decided to return to Toledo, where she stayed at her parents' house, and so I was preparing to leave again with Jonathan back to Florida, and the night before I was to leave again, I went to her parents' house to pick up my son, Jonathan, but no deal. I was met at the door by my ex-wife and then her father, who uh, literally got possessed, basically uh, ran to get a gun, which I ran for my life 
and left in such a hurry that I almost ran into a tree trying to get off the property. Uh, it was nighttime and going in, in reverse in the dark. Gosh. And so brokenhearted and deeply saddened, now leaving without my son, who I had been raising and training for the last couple of years together, day and night, and doing missionary work. I left Toledo with $5 in my pocket and a total emotional wreck. I'm sure. Uh, I got $20 worth of gasoline that some gas station donated along the way, and then uh, I picked up this lonely hitchhiker who I thought would be a great company as I was returning to the missionary community in Florida. And as he got in the car, I gave a sigh of relief and a handshake to have someone to share my unbearable sadness with. But I soon found out that he was deaf (laughs) and had to communicate in sign language and scribbling notes on the dashboard as I was driving down the highway. (laughs) But God bless his soul, he was... uh, he was so sweet and so just a little angel and he 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 had a couple of hundred dollars with him and uh he paid the gas all the way back to florida (laughs) praise the lord so when i arrived to jacksonville florida the mission home was having to close down due to persecution from the mayor of the city i think they were you know passing out some very uh very controversial literature in the city and they needed a good van for the moving procedure and asked me to forsake my van which i gladly did which was something that was expected of all disciples as their initial test to prove that they really meant business and actually by comparison to losing my children and wife etc it was actually nothing And the next day, I was sent to Miami hitchhiking to a border base home where I was planning to work and save money to go to a mission field, which ended up being Puerto Rico. And uh, so on that trip to Miami, me and this sweet black brother got stranded on the highway that night and had to sleep on the side of the highway in the rain. (laughs) Now it was just me and Jesus, everything stripped away. Wow. And so after arriving to Miami, I started evangelizing and uh, passing out. We we passed out Christian literature and tracts and asked for donations. and, And I was saving money to buy my ticket for Puerto Rico. And after around two months, one night, I had this amazing dream of my son, Jonathan. And in the dream, he was crying out to me. And, uh, you know, I I woke up so impacted that I decided to head back to Toledo again. My God. To try to rescue him before I left for Puerto Rico. Gosh. Gosh. And, you know, everybody was very busy at this missionary shove-off base, so the pastor in charge said I would have to go alone if I thought it was God's will to go and try to rescue my son. Wow. So I left the next day from Miami to Toledo. That's a, about a 1,200 miles uh, hitchhiking journey with no money, of course, uh, <laughs> but lots of faith. 
And uh, I made it back to Toledo, Ohio in about two and a half days and various times while waiting along the highway I would drift off into the woods and falling on my knees I would pray and ask God for his mercy and to help me in this impossible situation. And so I arrived to Toledo in the late afternoon to my mom's house and to her surprise and prayed and asked God, now what do I do? And I immediately got an urge to call my ex-wife's parents' house, which is really the last thing that my carnal mind would have thought of because if they knew I was back in town, they would be definitely on high alert. Right. But against my own natural reasoning, I called her mother's house and her little sister answered. And after asking to speak with my ex, she told me that she didn't know anything about where she was living. And I'm sure she was uh, programmed to say that. But uh, right before she hung the phone up, she said, I think, uh, I think they went to the cinema with the kids. I think she went to the cinema with the kids to see Dumbo. And then she hung up. And so, uh, you know, I grabbed a newspaper and found that it was playing in at least 15 different cinemas. And although I was dirty and tired and worn out from being on the road hitchhiking, I decided to go on this ridiculous lead to see if it if I could find them and out of 15 possible cinemas in Toledo, I chose the East Side Cinema that was actually on the total opposite side of town from the North End side of town where my ex was living under the protection of her parents. Right. So, you know, it was totally insane, but I went... And my mother lent me her car to do so. So when I got to the cinema, I asked the administrator if I could enter for a few minutes. As I didn't have my house keys and needed to get them from my wife. So he said, no problem. You know. And so uh, I went in, and as I was walking down the dark aisle inside of the cinema, I looked to my right, and to my amazement... She was sitting there Wow! with Jonathan and my daughter and, and a sister of hers. I mean, I could have touched her on her shoulder. I was so close. So I ran out of the cinema and went back to my mom's car and waited outside for a while. And within about a half hour, I saw them coming out to their car. And so I followed and lagged behind as much as possible, and they arrived to an unknown house at the north end side of Toledo again. So I figured, well, she's living here with her sister, and now at least I know where to find her. And just as I was ready to start up the engine to return to my mother's house, I was so tired and dirty, and I suddenly saw her leaving alone with my two children and thought, Oh, my God, she's still living with her parents. Uh, You know, she's still at her parents' house where her mother could have uh, full control over my 
children and my son Jonathan. So I started following her again, and sure enough, we were heading to her parents' house. So I speeded up and passed her and stopped in front of her at the last stoplight. Gosh. Half a block away from her parents' home and got out of the car and, you know, knocked on her window and, and I convinced her to pull over and, and talk for a minute. So uh, we're on the side of the road and I get out of the car. I go over to her car and hop in and Jonathan was so excited to see me and hugging me. And, and as I was sitting there in her car, I reminded her of her pact with me and the Lord that we had made that Jonathan would be with me and my daughter with her. Right. I mean, as sad as that is. And uh, I, I expressed that her mother was just trying to, to steal my son from me because, you know, basically she thought I was crazy for wanting to be a missionary and not living according to her wishes. And maybe she just couldn't understand a, a, a one's desire to dedicate his whole life to a cause and, and something of a great purpose. I, I don't know. Anyway, we ended up in a tug of war, pulling on Jonathan from one side to another inside of the car. She started screaming with the windows down. And Gosh. at that moment, I just said, oh, my God. I closed my eyes and, and I paused for a moment. And I, I had this like flash vision of Jesus standing up from his throne and saying, take him. It's now or never. And, and so the next thing I know, we're, we're outside of the car, between the two cars, in a tug of war again with cars stopping all around us. And finally, I, I, I almost gave up. And then finally, I just jerked him hard as I could out of her grip. And I, I, I threw him into my mother's car with her trying to rip the handle off of the door. Gosh. And my hands were shaking so bad I couldn't hardly turn the ignition to the car on. So with one last look into her eyes, I peeled off burning rubber. And I made it back to the east side of the city, close to my mom's house. Ditched her car a few blocks away from her house. And I was able to uh, get a hold of my sister's boyfriend, a kind of a... Uh, greaser, tough guy, any hippie type who thought I was totally crazy. And uh, he picked me up, uh, me and Jonathan up, and drove us to the outskirts of the city and gave me $20. So God bless him. with only the clothes on our backs, we got a hotel, like a Holiday Inn for $18, and we were united again and uh, in ecstasy. Wow. And the next day, the manager gave us a nice breakfast with no charge, and we cautiously stepped out onto the entrance ramp of the highway I-75 to head back to Miami, Florida. And after close to an hour standing there, I noticed we were being eyeballed by a suspicious state trooper who proceeded to make a U-turn. Uh, heading back our way, and I was desperately praying for God to deliver us. 
And all of a sudden, a motorhome full of college students on spring break from the north on their way to the south, uh, Fort Lauderdale, out of nowhere, stopped by our side. The door flew open, and the driver asked, Hey, man, where are you headed? <laughs> and I said, Miami. And the driver said, Wow, man, you're in luck. Uh, we're headed to Fort Lauderdale, just about a half hour outside of Miami. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, my God. So I arrived back to, I mean... I, Wow. I arrived back to Miami, the border base home community, and within a month's time, we were on our way to Puerto Rico, where we lived for seven years doing missionary work. And that's where Jonathan started his lifelong music career when uh, we were invited to work with an international radio club called... Uh, uh, Musica con Vida, right. that reached an international Spanish-speaking audience. Jonathan was around professional Christian missionary musicians coming from all parts of the world to sing and record for this uh, international music club and definitely had a part in his training and formation in music. And it was soon discovered that he had an incredible talent and was chosen to sing in uh, a multinational children's singing group and record many albums and videos that reached multitudes of people throughout Latin America and other Spanish-speaking countries. Wow, super. Then, after some time, the whole operation was translated to Peru... And Jonathan, at the age of nine, went on to Peru to continue his childhood music ministry, but at a great cost, uh, because we were separated for close to a year and a half due to my continued work in Puerto Rico. Right. And, uh, you know, for years we sang in restaurants and schools and orphanages in Puerto Rico and Venezuela and uh, Miami. As he grew older, he sang and traveled and performed all over South, Central, and North America as a, a professional guitar and piano player and singer and made his own decision to enter and play and perform in the music business and landed his first record deal with company BMG Ardiola as an artist with a project called LAB and also had done lots of professional background vocalist recordings with many known artists such as Jose Feliciano, Cristina Aguilera, Luis Fonsi. Wow. Uh, Son of Four, MDO, Jennifer Pena, Christian Castro, uh, Julio Iglesias, to name a few. And from 2001 to 2005, he worked and recorded with the legendary songwriter and producer of the decade, Rudy Perez, and eventually signed another record deal with... Univision Music Group, Area 305. Also, while 
working with Rudy Pérez, he was chosen to represent United States in the uh, famous international music festival Viña del Mar and sang this wonderful song, You Can Change the World, representing United States. The group Area 305 also had a number one song on Billboard and two top five radio airplay in uh 2004, a Latin Grammy nomination for Best Album uh, Vocal Pop Group, which Jonathan helped co-produce. Oh, amazing. Then went on to work with an uh, international, international artist, Chayanne, as a background vocalist and guitar player. Wow. And has been touring with him for the last 14 years, as well as songwriting and producing for other artists and performing with his own Miami-based band with top musicians who had performed with top artists and such as uh, BG's Phil Collins uh, uh, Chayanne and uh, currently he's recording a Christian album dedicated to God in appreciation and gratitude his own words for all all's well that ends well and at the age of 19 he returned to Toledo Ohio after 15 mm -hmm. years to visit and reunite with his mom and her family and try to help heal the wounds and they were pretty much in shock when they saw his maturity and knowledge of the world and life experiences after having lived in all over South America, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Colombia, and Peru, Mexico. Wow. Dominican Republic, Costa Rica, Virgin Islands and all over the United States, and he, he spoke fluent Spanish. So 26 years have passed since his reuniting with his mother and sister Joy, who became a dedicated missionary. Wow. And they have a very loving relationship and stay in close contact. And uh, my ex-wife is even on my mailing list, and we have made piece also oh that's so cool jonathan uh lives in miami and continues to play and perform internationally and deeply loves the lord and is extremely grateful for the life and experiences he lived as a missionary for years super although he is a gringo he is accepted as a fellow latino and has truly become one with the latin culture up to this day sounds like it anyway uh it's kind of a sad story but does have a happy ending it does and i just wanted to end with this famous uh, quote from david none of us can fathom the depths of despair the heartbreaks trials tribulations the bitter experiences the fires of testing many men had to go through to be made the pure gold they are today, the white-hot heat of the furnace they had to endure, and the years of the school of hard knocks, experience, trial, and error, success and failure, suffering and tribulation, the years of following, obedience, and training, the grades 
you had to take over again. The demotions as well as the promotions, the failures as well as the accomplishments, the blame as well as the fame, the unseen labor, the unrealized thought, the hours, days, weeks, months, and years of prayerful planning, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the agony with the ecstasy, all that goes into the making of a leader before they become the lovely colorful ceramic that they now are. They're the brief and final end product of God's infinite care, designing and preparation, here today and gone tomorrow. For what is your life? It's but a vapor. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. Most leaders and great men are made not born. Most of your work is unseen and will never be known by anybody but God and you, and perhaps a few of those closest to you. Most of your sufferings, your sacrifices, and years of labor will never be appreciated in this life, nor realized by others until the rewards are handed out in heaven. We are God's expendables created to burn out on his altar of sacrifice, made to wear out as his tools of design, to die that you might live. Yes. For no greater love hath any man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Shining bright in the dark night, you're listening to Nightlight. Well, before we close, let's listen to the song which Jonathan sang representing the USA in the International Music Festival, Vigna del Mar, where he made it to the finals with this song, You Can Change the World.
with music to calm and soothe your soul. You're listening to Nightlight. So, Simon, we'll end it here uh, with this uh, last thought. Just remember that one decision can change the course of history for you or your loved ones. As in my case and Jonathan's, that decision to rescue him changed the course of thousands of lives in the many countries where he and I have lived and sang in restaurants, uh, orphanages, schools, and TV, and uh, passed out thousands of pieces of literature, Christian literature, for, for years and changed the course of history and the lives of many. To this day, I still have an amazing bond with Jonathan. Uh, most of my uh, computers or music equipment or uh, clothes, uh, he, he has helped me with and been a uh, one of my most dearest uh, friends and joys throughout my life. Thanks so much, Joseph, for those stirring testimonies that helped me time travel back and remember some of my own crazy faith testimonies when I forsook all to live by faith and serve Jesus way back in the early 70s. And of course, the miracles of witnessing and supply and boldness to stand up against the devil's crowd. Jesus can give us again and will do as promised in these last days that they that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Well, I've invited Joseph to come back on the show again in the near future to share some more of his crazy faith testimonies, of which he says he has many. And if you, dear listener, have a story that you'd like to share, then please do contact me at simonpeterson2008 at gmail.com. Oh, and by the way, Joseph has two more sons who are also writing and producing great music. And in fact, we have time to go out with one of the beautiful instrumentals composed by Gabriel Fazesi. It's called River of Life. God bless you. I'll be back soon with another international edition of Nightlight. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.